It's Tuesday, October the 6th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist, sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Trump leaves hospital and hepatitis C trio land Nobel. First, the world in brief. President Donald Trump left hospital after three nights, returning to the White House for further treatment for COVID-19. His doctor said he had met the benchmarks for discharge, though the unusual combination of strong drug treatments he has been prescribed suggests he could have a severe case. Mr. Trump urged other Americans, don't be afraid of the virus. Meanwhile, his press secretary, Kayleigh McEnany, tested positive, along with two of her deputies and three correspondents. More than a dozen people in the president's circle have been diagnosed with the disease in recent days. Armenia and Azerbaijan traded accusations of escalating their conflict over Nagorno-Karabakh to include attacks on civilian areas. Jens Stoltenberg, the Secretary-General of NATO, added his voice to those calling for a ceasefire. There is little prospect of that in sight. The Armenian-controlled enclave within Azerbaijan has seen the worst fighting since a full-blown war in the early 1990s. Demonstrators in Kyrgyzstan stormed the country's parliament building, demanding that a general election held last Sunday be annulled. Early results showed that parties close to President Suronbai Jayanbekov and other elites had dominated. Protesters alleged widespread vote-buying and rigging. A mob also managed to bust Almazbek Atambayev out of jail. The former president was convicted for corruption. A Pakistani court charged a former president, Asif Ali Zardari, with corruption. Mr Zardari pleaded not guilty and said the proceedings were politically motivated. His party is preparing a rally against Imran Khan, the prime minister, later this month. Separately, Nawaz Sharif, a former prime minister, was charged with sedition for criticising the army's interference in support of Mr Khan. Restrictions on service sector activity triggered by a second spike of COVID-19 cases led the Eurozone's private sector to lose pace in September, according to IHS Markets Purchasing Managers Index. Europe's PMI fell to a three-month low of 50.4. Anything below 50 indicates a contraction. New business growth softened while employment numbers fell for the seventh consecutive month. Bristol Myers Squibb said it would buy Myocardia, a cardiovascular drug maker, for $13.1 billion. The American pharmaceutical giant will acquire Mavacamten, a promising experimental heart drug. Heart disease is the leading cause of death worldwide. Last year, Bristol Myers Squibb bought Celgene, a cancer and immunology drug maker. The acquisition will reduce its reliance on cancer drugs and expand its portfolio. And Harvey Alter, Charles Rice and Michael Houghton won the Nobel Prize for Medicine for the discovery of the hepatitis C virus. The World Health Organization estimates that more than 70 million people are infected with hepatitis C worldwide, of whom 400,000 die of the disease each year. The disease is chronic and a major cause of liver inflammation and cancer. And now, here's today's agenda. Up to its eyeballs, Argentina and the IMF. After weeks of jousting with the Argentine government online, a high-level mission from the International Monetary Fund arrives in Buenos Aires today for the first face-to-face negotiations in months on the $44 billion Argentina owes it. Both sides express a willingness to listen, but serious issues remain. 
In the two months since the government reached agreement with private creditors on a separate set of loans worth $65 billion, a COVID-19 lockdown has sunk Argentina's economy deeper into recession. With rising unemployment, a drop in the value of the peso and almost half of the population under the poverty line, the government warns against the kind of deficit reduction and reforms that the fund often seeks. The IMF mission prioritizes a plan to restore economic confidence and signpost how Argentina can pay its debts. It is looking for solid commitments, but that will be a hard sell to a government losing popular support. Candle in the Wind, Boris Johnson's party speech. Britain's Prime Minister will seek to soothe his party's grumblings when he addresses the Conservatives' annual conference today. Boris Johnson will announce a green industrial revolution in order to revive Britain's Covid-hit economy, raising the target for electricity generation from offshore wind to 40 gigawatts by 2030, up from 30 gigawatts currently. It was offshore wind that puffed the sails of Drake and Raleigh and Nelson and propelled this country to commercial greatness, he will say. The speech comes amid growing unhappiness among the Tory grassroots at his performance. Mr Johnson used to be the star draw at Tory gatherings, but during the pandemic he has conveyed a sense that his government doesn't know what it is doing. In interviews this weekend, he struggled to recall the details of regional lockdowns. No wonder that, in a recent poll of Conservative Party members, he scored a satisfaction rating of minus 10.3%, the second lowest of the entire cabinet. Coup Politics – The Trial of Omar al-Bashir Today, the trial of Omar al-Bashir, the former long-time dictator of Sudan, resumes in the capital Khartoum. Mr Bashir, overthrown by the country's armed forces following street demonstrations in April last year, is on trial along with 27 others for the coup that brought him to power in 1989. The case has been going slowly. His lawyer's efforts and COVID-19 have delayed it five times. But if convicted, he could face the death penalty. This is not Mr Bashir's only legal problem. He has also been charged with involvement in killing protesters during last year's uprising. In December, he was found guilty of corruption. And the International Criminal Court has long been after him for alleged war crimes and genocide in Darfur between 2003 and 2008. In February, it seemed the new Sudanese government might hand him over. That now looks unlikely, but trials in Sudan itself may at last be gathering speed. Reality Check – Australia's Budget Scott Morrison, Australia's Prime Minister, was elected last year promising to replace budget deficits with surpluses. His Conservative government's budget today will be in stark contrast with those pledges. The Treasury now projects a 184.5 billion Australian dollar, 132 billion US dollar shortfall, or 9.7% of GDP. COVID-19 ended Australia's 28-year recession-free run. Even a trade boom with China was not enough to soften the blow. The government has already spent 289 billion Australian dollars trying to keep the economy afloat. The budget will offer more stimulus, tax breaks for business, spending on broadband and a boost for gas drilling. But as long as the pandemic continues, it may not be enough. Some states have closed their borders to the rest of the country, crimping a tourism revival. Travellers from New Zealand may soon be allowed in, but overseas immigration, long a driver of Australia's prosperity, has almost stopped. Like the economy, it will take years to recover. 
Bloody Breakthroughs, the Nobel Prize for Medicine. This year's Nobel Prize for Medicine went to the discoverers of the hepatitis C virus, which can cause cirrhosis and liver cancer and was once a bane of blood transfusions. Though hepatitis C has a lower profile than malaria, HIV AIDS or tuberculosis, it kills hundreds of thousands of people each year. One winner, Harvey Alter, proved the virus existed by injecting it into chimpanzees' blood from transfusion recipients who were suffering from hepatitis-like symptoms despite having been screened for other hepatitis viruses. A second, Michael Houghton, used genetic material and antibodies to identify hepatitis C as a flavivirus, a group that also includes yellow fever and dengue. The third, Charles Rice, proved via genetic engineering that it acts alone as an infectious agent. The discoveries of Drs Alter, Houghton and Rice mean transfusion blood can now be screened for hepatitis C and that drugs, though no vaccine, have been developed against it. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Alfred Lord Tennyson, who died on this day in 1892. Knowledge comes... But wisdom lingers. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download the Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.